Healing yourself is connected with healing others. Yoko Ono Hi, everyone. Welcome to Episode 6 of Emetophobia Help. I'm Anna Christie. I'm a recovered emetophobic, a licensed psychotherapist who specializes in emetophobia, and your host for this podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about support groups, pros and cons, with my guest, Charlotte Young, who's from Scotland. Trigger warnings, uh, just the regular ones, maybe the word vomit or talking about being sick, but we're not really telling any stories and definitely no gory details. So here we go. Hi, Charlotte. Hi. Nice to have you here. Um, How about we start out by just if you could briefly tell um, a little bit of your story with emetophobia, um, because I think my, uh, our listeners really, really like to kind of get to know someone. Um, yeah, so I first, I would say, was like aware of myself, like having something around like emetophobia, around the fear of um, being sick, like when I was about four. Um, and I've had it like my whole life pretty much for as long as I can remember I can't really remember a time without it um but like I've I've definitely gone through phases in my life where like I've struggled a lot more or a lot less like I I often I'll have like a year that's like quite bad or quite good um but I've um I've had um so many different like therapies I guess like I've tried NLP CBT um counseling um exposure um I've yeah so I've recently just got a book that I'm working through and I'm working with a counselor right now that's Um, good yeah yeah um and yeah is there anything else uh no no that's 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 fine it sounds like you've had a lot of uh help over the years how helpful would you say any of it was um it's been a bit of a mix okay. I think often people don't really know how to work with emetophobia especially if they've never experienced it before right um, which I definitely had when I was younger and I didn't actually know what emetophobia was until I was about 12 and I looked up and I was like oh it has a name like what I have right. has a name. so when I was younger they were just trying to like figure out like why isn't she eating properly why is this happening you know so that was kind of quite, it made it a bit difficult to treat. Yeah, I know. And, and especially more and more um, therapists are starting to be able to understand it and learn how to treat it. But a lot of them still have not heard of it. And doctors haven't heard of it. Psychiatrists haven't even heard of it. So, you know, hopefully they look up on the internet and, um, a lot of them find my website because I have a lot of backlinks. <laughs> so that's a good thing because it's all free for therapists and they can, you know, kind of figure out how to how to work with people. But um, it is a very different kind of phobia. It, it's, it behaves in some ways like other phobias uh, as far as treatment goes, but in many ways it doesn't. It's different. Yeah. Yeah, so. I definitely find that. And I find the way it affects my life is different to people with other phobias. Um, right just like you can't really escape 
this like if you're scared of heights like you you can yeah. go up the yeah don't go up don't go up to the top of the uh what's the tallest building in scotland i don't know <laughs> oh that's funny you know because in canada we always say uh uh, the CN Tower, which was at some, at one point the tallest structure in the world, but then Dubai built a gigantic something or other. Um, yeah. But a lot of the you can't go all the way to the top of the CN Tower. It's like a it's like the Eiffel Tower, but it's a radio communication thing. But and then in America they they used to say the Empire State Building. I think I think that's still. Uh, anyway, I were ra- now I'm rambling on. You were worried about rambling. <laughs> Anyway, you're right, though. Just don't go up. You know, I have, I've used to treat other phobias. And, you know, a lady was afraid of birds. So she, she, I mean, that's very debilitating, because she's terrified to go outside. But at least inside, she felt perfectly fine. You know, whereas uh, emetophobics don't, because they carry around their, the thing they're afraid of, their own bodies. yeah? Yeah. All right. So, we're going to talk about support groups and um, I thought we might expand it a little bit, just a little bit to talk about all the social media platforms where uh, emetophobics kind of gather or talk or find information or whatever. But what's your experience been? We we were talking pros and cons. Just tell, tell our listeners what uh, your experience is with support groups. So I, well, I first remember that I found this person on YouTube that had a metaphobia and I was like, this was like the first person I'd heard like properly talk about it. And she had an Instagram page where she set up like a little group where it was like just like a little chat and we could all talk to each other. And I find like I'm still on it and we still talk on it. And I find that really great. Um, it's kind of set up in a way and it's it's quite small. Um, so like everyone sort of knows each other. Um, and it's kind of like we have like how we talk about things is quite different to what I'd say my experiences with other things. So I've had um, I've joined like the Facebook groups as well um, yeah. with the, like the Emetophobia Facebook groups. And obviously they have a lot of people on them. Um, yeah, some of them do. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm, I think yeah. I'm on two. Um, and I, I've never really spoken on it I've never made a post or anything but um, I've just found personally that I I I don't find them that helpful the big ones um right like I just start reading and I start getting really anxious and I start you know they often go into like detail and like um asking like all these questions and bringing up things that you were like oh I didn't know this could be like this could cause you to be ill or all these things um having arguments over like how to clean something and I I just find it quite stressful to look at yeah yeah you're right about that I um I used to there used to not be Facebook groups like originally there was and there still is a website at emetophobia.org and it's called the International Emetophobia Society and it's a um a discussion forum. Have you ever been there? No, I've never been on that. Yeah, well, it, it used to have about 10,000 members. And it, it was the only place really where metaphobics could find one another and talk. And 
you a lot of it, like first it's helpful to find other people, right? Yeah. <laughs> that have the same thing. You're like, wow, I thought I was the only person in the world that had this crazy phobia, but then you find so many other people, and that's really helpful. But then people start freaking out about things and they post, you know, um, will I be sick if, you know, because I just found a little piece of pink in my chicken or something like that. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen, have you seen things like that online? I've seen a lot of things like that, yeah. Yeah. So then um, the good thing about the forum was that we could organize it into different sections and you could see them all. So if you didn't want to go to the part where people were like freaking out all the time and saying things that, that freaked you out, then you could go to the treatment section or something like that, where people were just talking about treating it and getting better and so on. So, um, so this little Instagram, YouTube group that you have, um, how many people are involved with that? Um, I'm not sure exactly. It's like 20, maybe like that. There is like, um, there's people on it that don't really speak on it. Um, and then there's like, like a smaller group that do speak on it quite a lot. Um, but yeah, we have, um, not everyone in that group has a metaphobia as well. Um, so we sort of have different discussions, which is good. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Are you on um, any other social media just that you like to be on for fun? Um, yeah, like I have, I have all the like, I have Snapchat and TikTok and stuff. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to spend less time on my phone, actually. So try not yeah. to too much. But. I know, it can get overwhelming. And I, I'm like, more than 60 years old, but I'm still kind of a social media addict. Um, and oh and I know that a lot of people see me on all of the platforms with the metaphobia, but little do they know, this would be confession time, that I also have all of those platforms personally. <laughs> and I, not Snapchat. I don't, I don't know anybody on Snapchat except very young people. So, um, but I'm on Reddit and Instagram and Twitter. Um, I do have now I've got a podcast, I guess that's social media in a way. Um, and then I do have a few um, videos that I put up on YouTube a number of years ago, but you have to do your hair and makeup for that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I when I heard about podcasting and found out it was getting more popular, I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I also I I love just listening to a podcast in the, like the background as well and you don't feel like you have to like watch it like you can do something while you're listening to it that's true yeah you can you can be on your ipad doing a jigsaw puzzle or whatever you know <laughs> um whatever kind of thing kind of that you like to do um facebook i have joined all uh, as a metaphobia help person I've joined all the Facebook groups that I can because my practice with clients is uh, full and I, and my waiting list is very long. So I felt a little bit um, at a plateau of being able to help people. So I went on to the, to the Facebook groups just to see whether, 
you know, occasionally I could input something that might be helpful to somebody. But you do have to go through an awful lot of people freaking out. Do you find also that they, what happens for you when you see somebody post that like there's norovirus going around? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it sort of brings up all these thoughts that like maybe I wouldn't have, you know, thought about before. And I, I understand like not everyone has the same support systems, you know, like not everyone has someone that they could, you know, go and ask these questions to, even though you're not really meant to. Um, so I know it's like difficult um, and it's not necessarily, you shouldn't, I shouldn't be blaming them, but like, it's hard because there's not really a place where the people are more thoughtful about how they post and, I find that often like it's not really people wanting to get better it's more people just wanting to not be sick right. um, and trying to prevent that rather than saying this is like what I'm working on this is how I want to get better um right that's what my that's my only like issue with the Facebook groups really yeah yeah and to be honest, there was a Facebook group I don't know if it even exists anymore uh, that shall remain unnamed that the person who created it shall remain unnamed. Uh, and it was supposed to be just for people trying to get better and going either going through treatment or whatever. And it turned out that the owner of the group was like an internet predator looking for women. And so I had to disassociate myself with that group. And, you know, I had some evidence and outed him. It was a real big mess. And um, I, I, that was really too bad because probably Facebook should have a group like that, you know, yeah. where pe people are just talking about getting better. Even on IES, the, the International Metaphobia Society page at emetaphobia.org, there is a treatment section. Um, I'm one of the moderators. I was originally a moderator from the very beginning of the group back in 2000. And... Um, it's gone through a lot of a lot of changes, but there were more people on it, and there were more people talking about treatment. Whereas now, I find I go there about once a week or so now, um, and there there isn't much activity. Um, why am I saying that? Now I'm prattling on again with them. Oh yes, I. <laughs> it yeah, the treatment section is is not populated by very many people. Now I have a Facebook page a lot of people think it's a Facebook group but it's not have you been on my page um no it's I don't just called that. it's called a metaphobia help but it isn't a group so it's not private um so every post can be seen by other people so the reason I have the page is to sort of disseminate information it's not to you know have have a support group or anything like that so it's a little bit different in that sense um there is a Facebook group called Emetophobia and Being a Mum, which, again, is often filled with posts of my kids being sick and pictures of them laying there looking so adorable and so sad. <laughs> um, so it's it's got some really good, you know, people. There's an, also a page if any of our listeners um, are afraid of seeing or hearing other people um, be sick, but not themselves, which 
for a lot of the years that I had emetophobia, that's what I was like. And that page is called secondary emetophobia. And it's not got very many people because it is a, is a small subgroup of the main group, but that that's actually a pretty good page. So um, in the sense that, that it's not got a lot of uh, people being scared and yeah, you're right about that, about, getting better versus like just just wanting reassurance right yeah so how did you get to be uh, you seem quite young to me so <laughs> how did you get how did you get so wise to realize that that's really not what it's all about um I don't know I don't know if I'm that wise um well, you figured I'm, that much out so yeah I mean so well, I'm 18, so um, mm -hmm. I've and I have been going to like, I guess like therapy and that for a while. Like it started, I'd say when I was about seven. It's it's kind of like on and off, you know. Um, yeah. I'll go for a bit and I'll have a few years off. Um, um, but yeah, I found that like definitely, just like the experience, like learning a lot of stuff that I have. Just and like I have a lot of. I would say I have a lot more insight into into this, like just with the experience I've had of like therapy and everything. Um, right. And I, I have like a lot more knowledge of how I want things to be. And I definitely, I'm more mindful about how, how I am, um, like, you know, how I surround myself on like social media and that and like the way that I want to, live my life and the way that I want to get better and I, I don't really I don't I, I can't really explain it like I mm -hmm. I just feel like I've I've had a lot of like discussions and a lot of experience that maybe people haven't had that haven't ha been privileged enough to have that experience of therapy which, right that yeah that that's good that's fair that's also a very wise thing to say um uh, you are in the UK, like so far, you, you, yeah. Scotland's still in the UK, right? Um, yeah. it is, has any of your therapy been paid for by the state um, or do you have to pay privately for it? So, um, well, we have, um, basically we have CAMS, which is the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, which comes under the NHS, which is our like health service. Yeah. So that is free for us um, if we get like referred and then you move on to like adult services and everything so that is free as well but there has been I would say recently I've had to uh, well I guess like my parents have had to pay for like meantime therapy because it's really difficult like waiting times are so long I've been like yeah. on this for like eight months you know oh my um, gosh yeah so I've definitely that that is a, like a problem because you have to be at like crisis point before like you can get help. Otherwise you're right. on like a massive waiting list um, just because they're so stretched for resources and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I find that difficult because often people see like, unless it's like affecting you, your physical health, people don't really see it as that urgent or that, you know, difficult. Um, well, they, they do. Exactly. They don't really see it as as needing of help because it doesn't affect you physically. Right. And I think that um, it's so interesting because here in Canada, 
Um, it's pretty similar. We have universal health care, but it's only for your physical health. Uh, that we do have adolescent services and things like that. Um, and if you are if you are going to do harm to yourself or someone else, you can immediately get help from a psychiatrist um, for free. But if you want a psychologist or, you know, someone specializing in CBT or whatever, you do have to pay for that. Sometimes you get extended health plans that you pay for that insurance. Do you have that in the UK where it pays for your things that the NHS doesn't cover? Um, I'm not going to lie. You're not sure. Yeah, you, of course, I, I should be asking you. I know about the NHS, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> Whereas in the United States, if, if people buy insurance, it also covers mental health, which I guess, I don't know, in the United States, very, very complicated, the healthcare yeah. there. But so it doesn't sound like any country really has their act together for no. mental health. And, and I think with COVID-19 and all the crisis, that might be changing because a lot of people are suffering from that as well. So yes, we're um, off the track a bit of talking about, about Facebook groups. Um, so to summarize, the the pros of, of a group are to find out that your um, phobia has a name, to find out that there are other people who have the same thing, to perhaps do what you did and find a small group of friends and form your own little cluster of people and decide what you want to talk about. Yeah. Um, I think that they do their best. Another pro to, to limit triggers. Um, they usually don't spell words out that um, words that I'm also not going to say uh, for the same reason. Now, uh, there, there's often a lot of drama around that, at least on IES there was, and whether to spell the word out or not, it's actually better for you to see the word written, all, any of the words, any of them. Uh, just see them, it'll trigger you for a bit, but then you'll get used to it. I always have my clients when they, their first session, I have them print out the words that are the most triggering in like 100 font or something that takes up a whole eight and a half by 11 page. And post it up all around their house, just so they get used to it. Yeah. So so that's a good thing. The cons, um, the main con that you were describing is just the fact that they say things that you maybe haven't thought of, which make you more anxious, right? Yeah. And that people often, uh, a second thing would be they're not trying to get better. They're just sort of pooling their anxiety among one another and trying trying not to be sick. Yeah, like what can I take? What can I do? All sorts of safety behaviors um, and reassurance. And I'm sure you learned in therapy that reassurance is not a good thing. It's a safety behavior, right? And did your parents used to reassure you and then learn not to? Or is that um, something that happened? Yeah, that kind of happened. Like, I remember, like, I'd have to um, every time I'd like ask, oh, is this safe to eat? They'd have to say, well, I can't tell you that. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. And and it seems frightening, but after a while you get used to it and you realize that you need to answer your own question in your own head. Um, and that's okay. Well, thank you so much for 
being with us, Charlotte, and raising this issue. Um, I'm glad that you emailed me and said that, that you'd like to talk about this because I think it's really important. But before I let you go, I do have to talk about, I think it's a cello in the background or is it a? Yeah. That's a yeah. Cello. <laughs> you look like a musician. You got some cool um, 33s or 78s, 33s on the wall. I can't see what they are exactly. Do you play the cello? Yeah, I've got a cello. I've got a well, it's electric piano. I've got a violin oh, yeah. there. <laughs> oh wow! So you're quite the musician, and you can probably see. Can you see my guitar in the background? Yeah, I can see yeah. it. <laughs> it. It's sitting there. Yeah. Um, so you must have been into music quite a lot then, growing up. Um, I started when I was about twelve, maybe. So oh, really long. Yeah. Um. So I definitely, I had like a few years where I had to like really work to try and like catch up with everyone that had been playing since they were quite young, but yeah. Yeah. And you enjoy it. Yeah. Do you think it helps your anxiety? Um, definitely like in the general sense. Yeah. Yeah. Just being able to play music and, and, um, cause you kind of lose yourself in playing music, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, there's nothing there for you, but you playing that piece of music right then and there. So that's kind of, kind of cool. Well, thanks. You've been delightful. And um, I hope that I see you sometime online somewhere. Who knows? Thanks for having me. Okay, well, thanks to all of our listeners. We've had over 1,200 downloads to date, so we're really doing well with this podcast, and that's thanks to all of you. If you'd like to donate $2 to help with the cost, uh, you can go to my website at emetophobiahelp.org and scroll down to the bottom. You'll see a donate button and you'll also find tons of information for both emetophobics and resources for therapists to treat emetophobia with traditional CBT. Uh, that's emetophobiahelp.org or just Google emetophobia help. Next week, I'll be talking with one or two men about men and emetophobia and what that's like for them. All right, see you then.